It is Monday, March 27th, 2023, and welcome to episode 199 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. Joining Jessica Jones and me today is NSI Senior Fellow Morgan Vigna, who is sitting in for Jamil Jaffer, who is getting a manicure. So today we are talking about Syria. There is fighting in Syria. On Thursday, an Iranian-constructed self-detonating drone struck a U.S. facility in northeast Syria, killing an American contractor and wounding five American troops. Uh, so it's important to note here that there are 900 U.S. forces in Syria. They are there to make sure that ISIS does not have a resurgence. Folks will recall that about nine years ago in 2014, ISIS took over large swaths of Syria and Iraq and posed a huge threat to not only those countries, but other countries in the region and the interests of the United States. ISIS is a follow-on force to al-Qaeda. So the authorization for the use of military force, which passed Congress, Congress a week after the 9-11 attacks allows the U.S. government to legally prosecute war against those who carried out those attacks, plus their follow-on forces. ISIS is included in that. So the, the U.S. forces that are in Syria are governed by this 2001 AUMF. Interestingly, at the same time this was happening, uh, the U.S. Senate was debating uh, repealing related UMFs, although not the 2001 AUMF. It, it voted to begin the process of repealing uh, the AUMF from the early 90s, which was related to the original Persian Gulf War back during the Bush administration, the first Bush administration. Uh, and it also moved to repeal the 2002 AUMF, which authorized the 2003 U.S. invasion of Iraq. So if that's not complicated enough, uh, let's talk about the situation on the ground in Syria where this attack occurred. The, U the Biden administration responded to this attack. Uh, with with missile strikes against Iranian-backed forces in Syria. We do not have terrifically accurate reports back on the results of those strikes, but we believe casualties were involved. Recall that the situation on the ground in Syria is enormously complicated. There are American forces, Russian forces, Turkish forces. There are, of course, the forces of the government of Syria, uh, the dictatorship of Bashar Assad. There are also uh, forces from ISIS, uh, from Al-Qaeda itself. Uh, there are Kurdish forces, the uh, the Syrian democratic forces uh, that the U.S. is largely supporting. There are other groups. It is a very complex situation on the ground in Syria. These 900 Americans are very much in harm's way. They're car carrying out an important mission to prevent the return of a terrorist threat against our country. Uh, so, Morgan, I'm interested in your thoughts here about, in particular, about how the Biden administration responded to this attack. Thanks, Les. This response was utterly insufficient to deterring Iranian threats. You know, the very next day, Iranian proxies retaliated against U.S. forces in northern Syria. And this really does appear to be a test by Iran to see if the March 23rd airstrikes represent a more muscular U.S. policy or just a one-off event. You know, I'll add that the U.S. airstrikes by the Biden administration have been calibrated to minimize risk of escalation. In this case, we went after a munitions warehouse. Moving forward, targeting Iranian-aligned fighters or even Iranian commanders, as we did with Qasem Soleimani during the Trump administration, will really be critical to reaching a sufficient level of deterrence. Jones, I'm, I'm interested in your reaction here because we, we're basically talking about U.S. forces and Iranian-backed forces being in a shooting war with each other. I don't think anyone wants full-fledged U.S. war with Iran. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about this 
uh, this uh, conflict we saw last week in Syria. I mean, I think last at the end of your your opening intro, when you list pretty much, you know, 10 different groups that are present on the ground, the extreme complications and there are, are hard to really fathom the second order effects that can come from any any movement. And, you know, officially what why we're there is counterterrorism mission to keep ISIS um, removed from, you know, a threat to the United States to also continue to support the training of uh, SDF to, you know, oversee the detention of tens of thousands of fighters that are still in detention camps, also to help with the humanitarian crisis, right? So I think all of, uh, you know, Morgan's points about Iran and how we see, you know, them channeling also uh, military equipment and another um, support through through Syria to um, Lebanon and Hezbollah and, and Iranian proxies. It's all really important, but like we don't want this to be the powder keg. Um, and I don't want this on my 2023 bingo card of what is the inflection point that sets us off with Iran. Um, but I do to that point, you know, we do we see talks between Iran, Turkey and Syria picking up maybe at the high level uh, at a high level foreign ministry level. And so that's also concerning if Turkey, which, you know, we discuss on this show being both physically and um, politically, this east-west divide, if they start to sway and dethaw their relations with Iran and, and Assad. Morgan, let's. Uh, you referenced the uh, Trump administration uh, killing of Qasem Soleimani. It was also the Trump administration that actually wanted to pull U.S. troops out of Syria. In fact, uh, Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis resigned from being Secretary of Defense over this very issue. In my, in my opinion, those 900 U.S. troops are the most cost-effective U.S. troops in the world. They're really accomplishing an important goal uh, with not a lot of resources at very low cost. Is there a coherent approach here that makes sense that we've seen from, from any recent administration? Yeah, I, Wes, I completely agree with you. Um, U.S. forces in Syria are conducting limited, though critical, counterterrorism operations. After ISIS was largely defeated, the Trump administration did remove a sizable number of troops. It's vital, however, that the United States keep a presence in strategic locations to conduct CT operations. ISIS no longer controls the territory they did in 2015 during the Obama administration. There are still tens of thousands of ISIS fighters that would seize the opportunity to reclaim authority in the region if we gave it to them. Uh, Jones, what are, what are your thoughts about the fact that just just a couple of weeks ago, we heard about China coming into the Middle East and arranging this, this uh, diplomatic peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, which... You know, and maybe that doesn't pan out at the end of the day, but I think it's illustrative of the fact that things are changing on the ground uh, in the Middle East rapidly these days. Uh, coalitions are moving around. Alliances are moving around. F- new friendships are blossoming. Uh, new conflicts are starting. Uh, how, how should we keep our forces there, you know, based on an AUMF from uh, 22 years ago now? Does this still make sense to have U.S. troops involved in a place as chaotic as Syria when everything around them seems to be to be changing dramatically? So short answer to your last question, yes, we should be in Syria. Your larger question of these emerging friendships and, and new friendships and expansion of China's relationships in the region is, I don't want to use the word fascinating because it's scary, right? It's actually more scary than it is fascinating. And it's so complex, to, you know, to 
you know, we have, we are signaling to Americans that they should need to support the U.S. government's ongoing support of Ukraine and its, its fight against Russia. We're signaling to the American public, you need to be worried about China on every single level. They are coming after the United States as a global leader, um, this existential threat. And yet, you know, we are now talking about a story that references a small country or people. Any story you read about this has an exposition, like half a page long to explain why we're there, who's left, when did it start? Because the American public cannot think that far back, nor is it their fault that they can't. So to, I think we need to begin to paint the picture of, to your, less your point, of these relationships that China is growing strategically to counter the United States and why these countries, perhaps as small as Syria, and like put aside all the other complications, why that's incredibly important. Uh, totally agree. And I, I do think it's worth noting that the Senate last week took a vote on an amendment that would have repealed the 9-11 AUMF, which is the thing that governs U.S. forces in Syria in this instance, and it was defeated uh, dramatically, overwhelmingly. Only nine senators voted in favor of this amendment to repeal the 9-11 AUMF. So I think that's an indicator that, at least at the legislative level, the American people understand the stakes that are involved here and want to make sure the U.S. has the flexibility to, to do the things it needs to do to, to defend American interests. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Aga Khan from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Wednesday for another episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.